Welcome to Season 2 of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Michael P. was recorded on December 1st, 2022. I'm an ACA. My name is Michael. I'm a, I'm a double winner. I'm in heavily involved with two 12-step programs. So I want to read something. Give it a start. I'm glad you have the time with I was going to write notes, but then I decided not to write notes because then I would get confused. So I don't like too much confusion. So it says right after we read the 14 laundry list traits, these 14 traits describe a personality who cannot truly love another person or truly allow a higher power to work in his or her life. Okay. We went on to say we were children, but we unknowingly took responsibility for our parents' feelings and poor behavior. This mistaken perception born in childhood is the root of our codependent behavior as adults. Hmm. Our false self seeks constantly seeks outward affection, recognition, or praise, but we secretly believe we do not deserve it. Meanwhile, the inner child is driven into hiding. The false self is the adult child personality expressed in the 14 traits of the laundry list. There it is. So I like to say that uh, two emotions that feel similar is nervousness and excitement. And I like to report that I'm excited. I'm excited to be here tonight. And I'm going to try to go in some kind of chronological order as best that I possibly can. If I get a little scattered, Hold on, don't get confused. It's just me. It has nothing to do with you. So, why would I describe a dysfunctional family? My childhood. It's probably like growing up in a house with no windows or doors. Like living in a country without borders, you know. So, that's basically what it was like in my house. People could come and go and do what they please and take what they want and leave. So I didn't understand a lot of this stuff as a child. You know, a lot of these things were unconscious in my in my mind. I, I, I'm a child. I don't know. I don't know anything at this point. I'm just trying to live, be happy, play, eat a lot of sugar, run around with the other kids, and have fun. And, and got to go to school. Oh no, man! I didn't want to do that. You know, that's not fun. So you know, my childhood was probably, I would say. A mix. My father was a heavy drinker. I'm not sure if he was an alcoholic or not, but he was a heavy drinker. And he was also a cross-country truck driver. So he'd be gone for months at a time. And when he came home, we didn't know whether to jump for joy or hide in the closet. Because he always came home from the bar. And then he would come home. And then, of course, we didn't know. So we would all just sit around and... uh, try to monitor how my father was reacting or what he was saying and, you know, always trying to get the approval. You know, I was brought up in, in an era where children should be seen and not heard. I recall an incident where my sister and I were jumping around in front of the TV 
We just wanted some attention. And my father shouted back, both of us, you make a better door than a window. Get away from the TV. And so, uh-oh, there's my first, my first experience with abandonment, I think. I'm not sure. <laughs> but that's okay. So we would just scatter and do whatever we did. Uh, so when, when I started to sleep was, you know, I recall one time my father was sleeping for a road trip in the middle of the morning out of Connecticut. And I don't know how old I was, maybe five, six years old. I woke up in the middle of the night and, and standing in the doorway behind my mother and she was just sitting there on the windowsill sobbing uncontrollably. And I could hear the truck drive away. And she was sobbing uncontrollably. And I thought, I have to save my mommy. I got to stop her from crying. I didn't know at that point in time that was the manifestation of the hero child in me. You know, I didn't know that that was happening. All of this stuff is unconscious at this point in time in my life. So, needless to say, I did everything I could to make my mother pleased and happy. Uh, in reality, I became her surrogate husband. <laughs> I became the man of the house when my father was it. So it was kind of confusing times for me. I, uh, so I, you know, the dysfunction, I could talk about it. Uh, you know, there's spurts of uh, uh, craziness. There's parts of uh, uh, sadness and loneliness as a child. I remember having friends, but not really connecting to friends. I would just go from one group of people to the next. I became a loner. That was another thing that started to happen in my life. I started to understand that and, uh, being alone. And I didn't know how that would affect me as an adult. So things were going on. So at around age 13, I started to uh, hang around with some fellas and, you know, and started to engage with some alcohol and, and alcohol and started drinking at a very early age of 13. Because I my feelings were so erratic and emotional, I didn't know how to quiet them down. And, and when I found that alcohol, it kind of just took away all that anxiety. Anxiety has a lot to do with the, the future. Depression has a lot to do with the past. I'm clear on that today. So that's when I started at my age, about 13. Uh, still functioning, still made it to school, did everything I needed to do. Then I realized, you know, there used to be a cemetery down the end of our street, our block. And I thought, I'm not going to live here all my life and die here and be buried in that cemetery down the street. That just didn't, didn't seem too appealing to me. <laughs> I got to escape. So at age 18, I decided to go ahead and go to the military. And so myself and another friend, got friend Ray, posed there. We decided to enlist in the military. And uh, I got in some trouble. Of course, at this point, I was getting in trouble here and there. The different things were happening. And, and uh, I got in trouble. And then the, my induction date was postponed for about a month. About two weeks before I was ready to leave, Ray's sister came to my house and said, uh, Ray was in a training exercise with 30 other airmen on a plane and crashed inside of a mountain and everybody was killed. I didn't think much about that. 
See, because I'm starting to minimize things that are happening to me. I'm not embarrassing. I'm not just, oh, well, too bad, you know. I didn't really think much about it. I had no compassion. My heart was already shut down at this time. I had a hardened heart. And uh, I just didn't think about it. So I did. I, I went on my way. And I went into the military. At age 19, I found myself in Vietnam. And there it was. Now, I had the opportunity to experiment with some of the most highly addictive and lethal drugs on earth. And I did. And that perpetuated more addiction and trauma. Now, now I'm dealing with the childhood growing up trauma because I don't know how to maneuver in the world. Never had a value system, never had goals, never, nothing was ever told to me. I got all the information from Johnny down the street. And so I was kind of trying to maneuver through my life and all my addictions progressed rapidly. I came back from uh, Vietnam. I remember flying into Seattle and the, there was a protest. They were protesting the war at the time and they were throwing eggs at us. And I thought, screw these people, you know. I went over to fight, I don't know, because I thought it was the right thing to do for freedom. And, and here I come back and these people. So I really developed uh, lots of resentment and anger towards people, just people in general. But I continued on my merry way and got, with the next three years, I really became heavily involved with outer substances and a very, and lots of, lots of things started happening. Lots of different things were happening. I was always finding myself in trouble and I was always trying to find an escape plan or a way to get out of it. And uh, so what happened then was, you know, I decided after... Uh, a few years of this craziness stuff, I decided to follow in my father's footsteps. Here's a man that I really didn't love. He never told me he loved me. My mother used to say, I love you, but I never felt it. But let me tell you about the story where I ripped my teddy bear apart. I was so angry, I ripped my teddy bear apart, ripped, pulled the eyes out and the ears off, and then I started crying crazily. And my mother sewed it back together. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Anyhow, that's what it, <laughs> that's where I'm trying to I'm trying to uh, be able to share feelings and ex emotions, but then you shouldn't feel like that. Everything's all, after all we've done for you. Why are you so selfish? Why are you so ungrateful? I don't know. Aren't children supposed to be selfish? Aren't they supposed to be self-centered? I think so, but I don't know. And that's mine. That's mine. I want that. That's mine, you know, all the time. Uh, my sister and I used to fight a lot. And of course, I always had to have the last word. <laughs> and she hates that to this day. She hates that. To Today's her birthday, actually. I sent her a happy birthday message. Hopefully she, she'll be all right. She's unrecovered. She knows about 12-step program, but she's very crazy. A lot crazier than she used to be as the years go on. But that's not so much about her. So I just decided to follow in my father's footsteps. And I became a cross-country truck driver and traveled around the country, wreaking havoc wherever I went, looking for all-night restaurants and bars and a hotel. And that's what I did. And I just go whoever I came in contact with, and, you know, whatever happened. So it was wonderful. I thought I was free. I felt free. 
but I always took myself with me wherever I went. And I didn't understand how affected I was as a child. Uh, when I got a little older, I started to, uh, I started engaging what I like to call serial monogamy. You know, I'm a romance addict. You know, six, 18 months, life, shelf life, and boom. And they leave because this guy's too, this guy's just out of his mind. Why do they want to be around me? You know, why do they want to hang out with me, a guy like me? And of course, why would you want to hang around with a guy like me? I um, mean, you know, I'm crazy. I don't have any regard for other people's feelings or emotions or anything of that nature. So that's the way it went. So now I have childhood trauma. Now I have military trauma. Now I have addiction trauma. Now I'm all whacked out. I don't know. What the end is up, I don't know where I'm going. My life doesn't seem to be uh, any value or purpose to me. I'm just running around the countryside doing what I want to do. Buy a pocket full of money, go where I want, do what I want, act any way I wanted, just like at home. Living in a house with no windows or doors, just taking from people wherever I could. It wasn't until I finally, like to say, I hit a bottom. I hit a bottom. And I wound up in Asheville, North Carolina. I left in 1980, South Florida. And I went to Asheville, North Carolina, and I hit a bottom there. And I wound up in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. And I found the first guy I met that I talked to, told me I was sick. I had a spiritual disease, I was sick. And the first thought in my mind was, well, if I'm sick, I can get better. Where that thought came from? Today I understand it came from my innermost self. It came from my, my gut. It, it, it came from a power greater than myself trying to talk to me through my conscience, my memories, my intuition, and my dreams. So this guy said to me, he says, as long as you do this type of work, the hardest thing you'll ever have to do is ask for help. And you never ever have to be alone again. And that felt very comfortable to me. I didn't know there was another way to live. So then I started to look at the 12 steps and I saw the 12 steps on the wall and I said, oh my God, the word God was there. I came into 12 step program with a, uh, with a childhood like fate that didn't work anymore. So I abandoned them, that idea. So I was like a scared little boy in a man's body when I got here and I wasn't too sure to do. And I questioned this with Fred, he said, Michael, it's not important you understand God. The only thing that's important is God understands you. Huh, I found some relief from that. That gave me a relief. I just didn't know there was another way to live. He says, you're on this path now, make the best of it. Okay, and that's when I started to engage in 12-step work. I started to do 12-step work. Now, I was about three years into sober recovery, and I came across Tony A's Laundry List and Tony A's 12 Steps in 1985. Oh, so the person I was with at the time, we decided that maybe we should go to some adult children of alcoholics meetings. There was no literature back then. So what we would do is we would go and we would pontificate on the steps and Tony A's laundry list traits, and then everybody would go to the Olive Garden, and that was our ACA night out. 
And that's the way we did it for about a year. Then we tried, we dipped our toes in some CODA meetings and we tried that same thing. 12 steps, all 12 step programs and volunteer programs. What you put into it is what you get out of it. This has been my experience. So things went along pretty well. You know, I started to learn that the idea is here. I came into this world alone and chances are I'm going to leave alone. So I think the goal here for me is to become my own best friend. So I stayed in 12-step programs for several years. And when I found this ACA, a lot of the traits, some of the stuff just went over my head because I guess I'm not as intelligent as I thought I was. I just didn't understand some of them. But, you know, going out to the Olive Garden for the night out, hanging out with the people, it was fun. So we had a good time. And we were able to learn to understand each other. I've been to spiritual retreats, wild man gatherings, they call them, out in the woods where we bang on drums and dance around the fire and hoop and holler and let our emotions yell and scream. So it's accumulation of everything and not one particular thing, but all of the stuff that I've done in my life that got me to this point is what I'm saying is has helped me to grow in effectiveness and understanding. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the 12 steps. I like to say that in ACA, this is actually the same 12 steps in just about any program, except for Tony A's, he calls it a higher power. He doesn't call it God. So I read spiritual literature, and I came across the word God. And it said in, in this book I was reading, it says, God, the word God comes from the old German language meaning the highest good of radiant energy. Oh, I like that idea. I'm going to use that idea. And I use that today. It's energy. It's energy. Life is movement. Life is movement. When, you, when you're dead, there's no movement. There's a hit. So life is movement. So I'm always moving in directions that are for my highest good. I, I started to understand this power that is everywhere this radiant energy that's everywhere. And I could plug into this at any time. And then I started to do ACA work. Lo and behold, I came back 10 years ago and they had literature. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. And so I jumped right into it. I don't hesitate at all because I want to get, you know, I went from being, <clears throat> it was like hell. I got well, now it's swell. And I wanted to go to a higher level of understanding. So I found the ACA literature. And the first one was the Big Red Book, of course. Many people know about this book, right? Very thick, all kinds of psychoanalysis and everything in the book. And I said, wow, it's too heavy for me to read. And in 2007, they came out with this yellow workbook, which I, this is the book I use. This is, I've been, I've been working in this book with fellow travelers for the last 10 years. and. Uh, I've been through the, I'm going to be going for the fifth time through the other workbook with another fellow traveler. I work with people one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, I prefer to do that. And we co-sponsor each other. And that's what we do. And we're able to discern. And the more I read stuff, the more I retain. Because I know I can't comprehend more than five or six sentences at a time. And then, you know, sometimes I don't even understand what I just read. And I have to reread it again, over and over again. So I'm becoming more familiar with 
with the, with the literature. And the ACA 12 steps have helped me modify my behavior and thinking exponentially. It's incredible books. And this other book, which I also currently now, this is like very healthy book for me. This is psychotherapy in a, in a book that's incredible. It's written by all people from recovery, ACAs. And it, it takes me to a higher order of thinking and reasoning. And that's been what God sent for me. You know, always seeking the, the world of the spirit for me is, is always higher and higher. And the world of the spirit is always higher and higher. So, you know, I say to myself, now that I'm starting to feel what I'm feeling and identify with feelings because I was frozen for so long, so many years with a hard heart and a defensive body. And of course I had an opinionated head. I thought I knew everything. And the longer I'm here, I realize that I don't know everything and that's okay not to know everything. <laughs> so what I found helpful is this little book here. This came out in 2013, this book. And this helps to dismantle or explain further on the, the Red Book. So I can cross-reference between the Strength of My Recovery Book and, and the Red Book. So that's the order that I'm doing. And the 12-step tw workbook, the laundry list book. Now I have this latest one that's come out this year, oh, which somebody gave me. Ah, I'm excited about this one too because it has coloring in it, pictures you can draw, you know, kinds of neat little, little stars, whatever you like. I'm, I'm not a creative kind of guy, I don't think, but it'd be nice to do that, see how how I start to feel about that. So I look at my true self, my true self. Uh, they call it the inner child. One of the tools that I use that I've found very helpful is. When you talk about the spiritual program, lots of people I've talked to have difficulty with spirituality of the 12-step program. I like to think it's my spirit is those voices in my head. So I subscribe to the idea. I subscribe to the idea that uh, there are three voices. There's the parent, the adult, and the child. Now, child could be loving, spontaneous, curious, full of wonderment, or it could be terrified, fearful, and, uh, feeling all alone and disconnected. And the adult is like a computer, taking in information all the time, processing information, like I'm doing now. I'm processing, I'm probably processing what I'm talking about. Is this making sense to anybody? I don't know. Makes sense to me. Uh, so what became nonsense becomes common sense for me. Anyhow, that's what I'm learning. And, yet, and, and then the parent. Now we have the parent. It could be a critical, judgmental, not validating, sarcastic parent, or it could be a loving, warm, gentle, accepting, loving parent. So I ask myself whenever I'm engaged with some thoughts, who's that's talking right now? What'd you say? Go ahead, you have something to say? Anyhow, uh, who's talking right now? And that's the way I look at that. And so when I'm talking to my higher power, which is the highest good of radiant energy, the spirit in me does the heavy lifting. I'm a little jammed up right now. I'm not sure 
this critical voice is starting to go off. Okay, let's quiet it down somehow. Let's take it easy, Michael. You're right where you're supposed to be. Everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be. All you have to do is adapt, adjust, and accept the moment. And that's how you live, right here, right now. It was drilling to me very early on. Can you do anything about this right here, right now? Can you do anything about this right here, right now? I said, oh, no. Okay, then. So, and I just keep moving. You know, this work is all done as an adult in the moment, right here in the present moment. I have to be present. Even the laundry list workbook has thing orientation. Look at some feet. Smell some cinnamon. Slap your face. I mean, pat your face. You know, it tells you to be in the moment. Look at some things actual to help you stay grounded. Prayer and meditation is a, is a big part of my uh, recovery also. You know, I started to develop this interpersonal relationship with this highest good of radiant energy by having conversations. You know, all relationships start with a conversation, not a prayer. I didn't know that. All relationships start with a conversation. So I talked to my higher power like I'm talking right now. I recall the first time I started praying, I was driving on the highway, rolling through Tennessee. And I said, hey, God, I'm having a great freaking day. Amen. And I rolled the window back up, turned on the radio, talked on the CB, and keep rolling. And nothing bad happened. You know, so I'm learning that my, my higher power understands me and has a sense of humor. And I got a lot of wiggle room here with this kind of stuff. It's, it's not so rigid. It's not so controlling. It's not so critical anymore for me. My spirit is light. My spirit is thriving. I feel I'm alive. You know, as I continue to ascend to spiritual consciousness, I look at that as like falling upward. You know, I fall, but I keep moving. I keep moving upward and keep going and going and going. And I keep going until I'm no longer here. And what I've learned about how to be gentle with myself and, 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 it's, and implement humor, love, and respect. Because I am worthy. I'm a worthy. I'm an infinitely precious soul. And all the answers to all the situations and the things that I encounter in my daily life are already within me. I've tapped into an unsuspected inner resource, which I had no idea was there. I didn't know how to protect. You know, they talk about peeling the layers of the onion. And the layers of the onion and the core of the onion is self-love. How do I get that? How do I get that? There's nothing here that I need to fix. I don't have to fix me. All I have to do is love and approve of myself on a daily basis and things start to unfold. You know, the future is always the present moment for me. It's always the present and it unfolds every day. So if I do certain things during the course of the day, chances are I'm going to have a very good day. You know, I heard somebody in the meeting said, when you wake up in the morning, if when the, your first thought, it could possibly become your higher power. Oh, so I have to make mindful of what I'm thinking about when I first open my eyes. What about that SOB down the street? And guess what? Because my higher power all day long, I keep thinking about that SOB. Or, hey, what about this person? You know, when I'm thinking about this in a loving way, living my life for the highest good, things really just come to me. I can know when the power is working within me. I can feel it. I can feel the energy. Things just kind of like chain of events just kind of like flow together. 
It's amazing. I, I never knew that become spiritually fit first and then become mentally and physically that starts to manifest all by itself. We straighten out mentally and mentally and physically once we connect on a spiritual level. So the power is already within me. There's nothing I need to do. I don't have to rearrange that. I don't have to uh, make demands about it. I say, oh. So let me tell you about my ACA relapse. I had Thanksgiving Day. I went to my sister's house for Thanksgiving. And we're at five hours on there now. I mean, she's crazy. I'm crazier, but I know it. she doesn't. That's the difference. She doesn't think she is, and I know I am. So she said, reach to the top cabinet and get the turkey plate. And there's another plate on top of it. Don't let it hit you in the head. So I started to reach to the top of the cabinet. She said, reach to the top of the cabinet and get the turkey plate. And I, I reacted by saying, I heard you the first time. What I should have said was, you've been hurt, you know, but I didn't do it. That just wasn't quick enough to say it that way. So I got the plates down. So she turned around to do something at the stove, and my niece was there watching me. And I take up the turkey plate, and I raise it over my head like this, like I'm going to bust her over the head, on top of the head with this. My, my niece starts giving a little laugh. I said, you see? Mm, see how your mother is? Mm, she's terrible. She's mean. See? Always pointing the fingers at others. So I got to take ownership of my own stuff. And that's what I'm learning to do a day at a time, you know? And it's been a wonderful journey for me. I have no regrets. All the trauma, addictions, childhood trauma. I mean, I could talk about this stuff for days, you know, but uh, some of the things I won't even share publicly in a meeting only with certain people, especially some of my experiences in Vietnam. So I'm not need to talk about that, but trust me, this trauma. So I used to minimize everything. Some people embellish it. Go on and on with me. Uh, same shit, different day. Excuse my French. Sure didn't mean to say that. I guess I could say that word here. We're all adults. Anyway, but not anymore. Today I embrace my life. I'm learning to live. I'm learning to live happy, joyous, and free a day at a time. And then it's paying off simply because I do the work. If I don't do the work, absolutely nothing happens. Nothing's going to happen. I don't change. So by doing the work, I've learned to look at things differently. I learned start to get into my body and feel like feelings and accept things that are going on. I just recently was at in the VA healthcare system. I got probably about eight medical issues, which are all manageable at the time. And at this moment in time, they're all manageable. And, and I thank God for the VA. You know, they offer me services there that, you know, are helping me and they keep me on track. And uh, they want only the best for me also. And I associate with people. Today, the promises, you know, my, I'm talking to my friend, my friend I met five years ago, and we're still talking, my friend. And he was talking about some of her trauma last week. And I immediately, the hero child in me wanted to jump in and say, hey, this is what to do to fix it. And she looked at me and she said, you know, what? why don't you just shut up and just listen? I don't need you to fix me. You know, and I put my hands like, oh, oh, my God. And I didn't say a word. But she said, is that painful? Is it painful to keep your mouth shut? I go, mm-mm, mm-mm. 
but I could take that because we developed a rapport with each other and it's okay. And we become intimate. And she shared something with me today. That, oh, okay. You know, it's been a long time coming where we have uh, been able to develop this interpersonal relationship with each other. And there's a great friendship, you know, and, uh, uh oh, I'm lost in, losing my thought here. Anyhow, that's one of the other promises. I choose to love people who can love and be responsible for themselves. I engage with people who are able to be responsible to do what's best for them. And I can develop interpersonal relations with them. As a direct result of doing this type of work, I could probably have a 15-minute conversation with somebody. And by taking their temperature, I've heard it said, that I can determine whether they're safe enough for me to share a little bit about me or not. It's called discernment. When I use discernment, that's like the pause. It's like it's discernment is God's breath guiding me towards healthier choices. And when I listen and it speaks to me, like I said, to my conscious, my memories, my dreams, and my intuition. It's always speaking to me and my listening. The universe is always talking to me. So walking is a good meditative activity for me. If I have a troublesome thought, and that doesn't come up too often, and I have a troublesome thought, I'll just think about it and think about it, and lo and behold, it started to go away. Because thoughts are like drawing pictures on water. As soon as I finish the picture, it's gone. I might have 50,000, 60,000 thoughts in a day. You know, just boom, 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 in and out. So I don't focus on the stuff and I don't obsess about thoughts. This one comes, ooh, where'd that come from? You know, wow, okay. Well, let that go. That's not, has no value to it, no spiritual value. Negative emotion that has no spiritual value. I, uh, one of the traits I found was interesting. It says we became addicted to excitement. And I read that one. It said negative excitement. Either you're the victim, the persecutor, or the rescuer. Oh, is that what it is? When I focus on others, my life becomes unmanageable. Oh, that's what that is. So I'm just here to learn how to do what I'm supposed to do for my highest good and whoever I come in contact with. I was in my home group earlier this morning, and a lady got her year medallion, one-year medallion. And her 13-year-old daughter walked in to give her her medallion. And all of a sudden, the tears are going down. How do I know when I'm having a spiritual experience, when I become flooded with emotion? It starts in the pit of my stomach, goes up into my throat, and then it reaches my eyeballs. And that's how I'm having a spiritual experience at that moment. I make no mistake about it, and I don't make excuses for it. When my mother passed, I publicly, I found myself just sobbing uncontrollably, uncontrollable sobbing, just at the drop of a hat. And I realized that's how I was still attached to my mother. I was still so codependent on my mother. I was still the hero child wanting to fix her. In all of my relationships as an adult, I became the hero, the fixer. I, I, I was engaged with clinging vine type people needy people and some of them spot that and they used it against me ah, see that's terrible how could they be like that after all i've done for them they treat me like that anyhow that's some of my thoughts that uh so i'm uh i'm gonna probably wrap it up 
because I don't know what kind of order they're doing there. I could say the first order of business in ACA is to transfer allegiance from your biological family to a heavenly father and divine mother. Yeah. A heavenly father and divine mother. I'm going to share a mantra with you that I use when I start to sit quietly and meditate. And I'll say to myself, within, within, this is where the world's treasures has always been. Within, within, this is where the world's treasures has always been. And then I just sit quietly and wait for the next thought to pop up and see what it's about. Explore it. If it has no spiritual value, discard it. Okay, that's crazy shit, Michael. Let him roll. Move it on. On to the next thing. Oh, so-and-so. Hmm, yeah, I like that person. Yeah, and I'll do all that for a second. Sometimes when I'm a little down, I got, you know, I'm not feeling well and I, I'm not in my group for a couple of days or something, I get text messages from people, four, five, six, I got a few tonight. And I say to myself, why do these people bother me all the time? Why do they keep bothering me? They're just showing me their unconditional love. They're just here to love me so I can learn to love myself, you know? And that, now, I guess I'll just say, well, just stick a fork in me. I'm done. Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to share the meeting and do the work and great things will happen.